Welcome to The Grid, sponsored by PokerStars. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like Ace-King are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. I told you a few months ago that there are some very exciting reasons why I've been especially busy lately. Well, one such reason is that I'm coming out with Chess Queens. It's a totally updated and revised version of my previous book on women in jazz. Right now, pre-orders are my love language. With that in mind, let's get into this episode's special guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Grid. I'm Jennifer Shahadi, and I am so excited to introduce our special guest today. He is Mike Shaw. He is a regular in the streets of PA poker. He's a singer slash rock star, poker player, a PA coup champion, and he's a fellow podcast host. In fact, I love that podcast. I was on it, so maybe I'm a little biased but it's called The Kinder Things. And it's all about um, how being kind is a skill, not just an attribute. But today, Mike brings a hand that I guess you could call pretty raggedy, a King 7 offsuit. And it's from the first live tournament he ever played. So I'm super excited to have you on, Mike. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Jen. Uh, Great to be here today with you. Thank you so much. It's funny, you reached out to me on April 1st to coordinate today's episode. And I was thinking, hmm, is this some sort of a strange bluff or an elaborate April Fool's joke? But alas, it was not. And here we are. I love April Fool's, though. So (laughs) I, (laughs) I really am a big fan. I mean, I love and I hate it because I feel like there are so many terrible jokes on April Fool's, but then there's always those gems that get you. Yeah, for sure. I think King Seven Offsuit is an interesting edge hand in certain situations, which I love. Like, give me an example of a situation pre-flop where you'd be on the fence about opening King Seven Offsuit or not. I think it would mainly be out on the button with uh, seven to nine big blinds whether to shove or not, try to pick up the blinds, or even out of the big blind, if the button raises and you want to three bet or three bet jam. I think those are really the only situations I would use king seven off suit nowadays. I would never open cut off any early positions with that hand. But I'm not very, I'm not very well versed and studied in the two card game. I will tell you that much. <laughs> I was thinking actually like certain situations on the button. Yeah, like there's like sometimes depending on your stack size and the ante structure that you want to open king seven and some that you don't. And that's like really useful information because I mean, that's one of the important things with the grid, right? That knowing um, that you are definitely going to do it with king seven 
or that you might do it with King seven means that you will definitely do it with King eight plus, right? Yeah. When you know one thing, you know a lot of things. And if you're opening King high, you generally do want to have it suited. So King seven offsuit does get tricky. But for me, it's a very important hand. It was the hand I won my first ever live poker tournament. And that was all the way back in 2004, uh, 18 years ago now. Wow. You were playing this back all the way almost two decades ago. Wow. Now that you put it like that, really wild. And it was, I found the game right during the moneymaker boom, like January of 04. So there was really a palpable vibe and enthusiasm about poker just in the mainstream all over ESPN. And there were all these like poker stars popping up, uh, Phil Ivey, Eric Seidel, all the full tilt guys. I fell in love with the game instantly and just wouldn't stop talking about hands, watching episodes, reading whatever books I could find. And the owner for the diner that I was working at, he really took an interest. And he was always asking me about hands, about what tournaments I'm playing. So in October of 2004, he invited me and a small number of uh, my coworkers out to Vegas. And like, as soon as he invited, I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. I'm definitely going. I cannot wait. Like, there's so much of the history of this game I just fell in love with. And uh, I'm, I will be joining you for sure. So we flew out all together and we checked into the hotel. I literally just dropped my bags off and said, Hey guys, I'll meet up with you later tonight, 8 p.m. at the Bellagio. I'll meet you for dinner, but I have to go. And I instantly dropped my bags, took a cab down to uh, Binion's in uh, downtown, the Horseshoe. And that was mainly the reason I wanted just to go there, to see the venue, to hop into a tournament, which uh, there was a 1 p.m. daily. It was like a $125 buy-in. And I bought into that and... I had only played live once or twice before, just with a couple friends to warm up. So it was for me, my senses were very heightened and I was the adrenaline. I was just really excited. I was making some string bets and uh, checking out a turn, some just like technical um, mistakes. So we got to the final table, which had a rail of, of about 30 just random spectators, like just tourists coming in to watch the poker game. And at that point, I was just in shover fold mode because I was not comfortable playing post-flop. I was just, all right, if I get a hand, I'm going to shove. If not, I'm going to fold. I was still new to the game. I finally got heads up with this young kid. He was probably my age, early 20s. It was 7.30. I was like, man, I have to get to dinner soon. So like, we kind of have to hurry this up. And I pick up a king. It was a black king. And I knew I was going to shove like king high heads up. The blinds were high enough. And the other card was a seven. I shoved. He instantly called with sixes. The board was seven, seven something. I think it ace. And then I don't really recall the turn in the river. I just know they were, they were safe. And suddenly I just had won my first live poker tournament. $3,600, which at the time was like substantial amount of money. I was just like working at a diner and the tournament director comes over to me and he hands me a white shirt that has, I won a t-shirt or I won a poker tournament at Binion's Horseshoe. 
So that's an important part of the story because like what happened right after this tournament was equally as surreal or like cinematic. So I get into a into a cab and I go to Bellagio to meet up with everybody for dinner fashionably late about 8.15ish. And as I'm walking through this like side entrance, literally as I'm walking in, my favorite player at the time, who was just always on TV and just such an entertaining persona, was right there. And that's Gus Hansen. And I was just kind of like shell-shocked, a little uh, starstruck. And I was like, hey, uh, just wanted to let you know, man, really love your game. And I'm always rooting for you. Uh, and check it out. I, I actually just won a tournament down at Binion's and they gave me this shirt. <laughs> and I got a laugh out of him. And he's like, no, oh, nice job, kid. Keep it up. Whereas he was probably just playing 2,000, 4,000 in Bobby's room. And that what I just won in the tournament was one bet in the, the game he was likely leaving from. <laughs> but I bet you, I bet you he really did. It still did impress him. You know, winning a tournament's no joke. I mean, first of all, winning yeah. a tournament at Binion's is particularly impressive. In fact, I mean, it's just like anybody who wins a tournament at Binion's is a really a, an amazing player. It felt really special. I, I actually won a tournament at Binion's. So. Did you? No way. <laughs> I did. I didn't know that. I won a tournament of Binion's. I actually had uh, to try to jog my memory to remember because I knew I won it in downtown Vegas. It was at this event called Barge, which is this amazing collective of poker players who love like the fun of poker, mixed games. And they had actually invited me. This was back in 2015. Cool. So a couple of years before Fabian, my son, and they invited me to speak. And then after I spoke, I played in the tournament. You know, the speaker is not really supposed to win. that's awesome but i did not get a t-shirt but i did get something really cool they actually one of the things for winning that tournament with this group is that you get to they make you like a chip set they design it for you and they like order it and i made one that was like chess pieces made of poker chips after we made one we tried to like make a different version of it with like poker stars chips and they're really cool i i have to give you one of those i have to get you one of those that's awesome i'd love that for sure so I didn't get a t-shirt though. And by, by the way, do you still have your I Want a Tournament at Binion's t-shirt? Oh, I do. Of course. That is a prized possession. I don't have any um, bracelets yet or uh, trophies, but I do have that shirt and hope to add to some add some jewelry, uh, you know, in the coming year or so. We're less than two months away from the 2022 World Series of Poker, which I mean, I am like as excited and just giddy and enthusiastic about this year as I was 18 years ago. You know, I just like cannot wait. It's the first year that World Series of Poker is going to be on the strip at Bally's and they rebranded Bally's to be the horseshoe on the strip. So they're kind of trying to carry the uh, the history of the game onto the strip. Are you planning to be out there uh, this summer? I'm feeling ready to get in there. And uh, nice. I'm playing EPT Monaco and I'm playing... Oh. Nice. And I'm playing the WSOP, various events. I do want to know more about this trip from Philadelphia to Las Vegas. We are both. So we have a lot in common. We're both Philadelphians. We both have our own podcasts and both, which kind of have this like um, the structure, the specific structure to it. And we've both won tournament opinions. I mean, it's like totally amazing. What more things yeah. do we have in common? Well, your, your son's <laughs> birthday is January 3rd and that's my birthday. That's another cool connection. I know, right? There's so many things. Yeah. But uh, what what restaurant were you working at in Philly at the time? 
it was a small diner outside of the city, the Great American Diner. And it's funny, the the owner, he just loved uh, whenever I was talking about poker and all the hands. And one of the last nights that we were in Vegas that year, he took us to the Voodoo Lounge, which is the 52nd floor of the Rio. Listeners, if you've never been there, I highly recommend going up there, having a you know glass of wine if you if that's something you do. It's such a beautiful survey of the, the entire city. And that was like maybe our last night or second to last night in town. And then the following year, uh, coincidentally, the World Series of Poker got moved to the Rio. And for me, it became kind of a ritual, like I went to everyone from 2013 all the way up until last year, 2021. And I would fly in Sunday night late and I would just go to the Rio, get a glass of wine, survey the city, spend about an hour and just enjoy the evening before diving into battle for the next five or six days. Yeah, that was a great place, by the way. You know, when you talk about that, I am that is one of the places I'm going to miss at the Rio the voodoo lounge, yeah. like just the, whether you're getting a drink there or getting dinner, it was like gorgeous. Um, and there was zip lining for people who were into that kind of thing, but okay. I'm super excited about the move to the strip too. You know, I like, yeah. I think the change will be interesting, but like, yeah, it, it's good. It's one thing about you that I really love is that you're so positive because there were obviously a lot of things to complain about at the Rio, yeah. but there were those few things that were magical. And uh, definitely the voodoo lounge was one of them that you know, I never thought about it that way before, but when you said that, I was like, yeah, like these memories flooding to my head of different times I was there and it, it was really cool. Yeah. And I'm glad we both got to be there for the last one uh, this, in 2021. It was in October. So, you know, it was weird to be there in the autumn, but, and it was funny. I was on break from uh, just like a daily tournament and I knew the the ladies event that you were in the 1k was close to the money. So I went in and within the few minutes I was standing there railing, like you got into the money and I was like, you know, go Jen. You didn't see me yet, but I was just like, I was happy that, uh, to see you get into the money in that event. <laughs> oh yeah. That was fun. I didn't end up playing the main last year cause I was finishing my book chess Queens, but, um, I will definitely be playing this year. So which listeners, if I may pause, uh, whatever you do today, you have to get a copy of Chess Queens. It's incredible undertaking. I'm about about 40% through now. I'm actually listening to the book. I just do much better with audio. And your narration on that is exceptional. And listeners, I just can't recommend enough. Download the audio version, buy a copy for yourself, buy it as a gift. I have four different people this year that will be getting Chess Queens for their birthday. I have two nieces, one of them, going to be turning 15 the other's turning 16 and they're each going to get a copy for their birthday for sure thank you so much for that endorsement that was so kind and i am definitely going to be signing copies of chess queens to your nieces i really appreciate it i mean think about it if it makes a poker player um skip the main event then it must be pretty important to me right for sure i was like pretty pregnant they played the main event like i had a six-month-old and i played the main event but it, it takes a lot to skip it if you are, you know, lucky enough to be rolled to play it. Speaking about rolled, you won this $3,600. Now, I hope the restaurant owner, who sounds like an awesome guy, yeah. did he still pay for the dinner at Bellagio? He did. Yeah. Ah, yeah. He was very it. generous. Yeah. Love that. He reminded me a lot of your father, just like very jovial, very generous. And your your father has become like really good friend, just a wonderful guide, especially over the COVID um, era. 
you know, online poker um, and poker in general can get a little isolating, a little lonely. But lo and behold, you know, if I was in even in a five dollar tournament at a final table, your dad would just appear in chat and be like, good luck, Orion. And uh, and vice versa, if he was deep in a tournament, I'll just bring him, bring up his table and kind of rail him. We'll call each other on breaks like, oh, huge double there with ace queen. Like, it's just really nice to have, uh, you know, a companion, somebody to root for. And they're all, he's also rooting for me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that uh, that is a great cheerleader to have on your side. Speaking from many years of experience in both chess and poker, you brought a no limit hold'em hand. King seven offsuit, won you your first tournament and this epic t-shirt that will, mm-hmm. you know, never, never, never be washed out. <laughs> never. Right? But yeah. now I understand that you're a proponent of more mixed games and. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like mixed games really are the hidden treasure of uh, the poker world. And I encourage everyone to at least try them, you know, just some of these games like Choose to seven, triple draw, stud, stud, high, low. But Doogie is an amazing game. Really fell in love with those games after April 15th, 2011, which was Black Friday in the poker world, where we got online poker just taken away from us in the United States overnight. I still wanted, I still wanted to play the game somehow. So for me, I transitioned into a lot of free poker. Like me and a good friend, we would drive around to find like, free bar poker tournaments all over the uh, tri-state area. And I also signed up for PokerStars Play Chip account. And that's when I really started playing a lot of mixed games for Play Chips on PokerStars, like a global free site. Once a month, they would have this 5 million Play Chip buy-in eight-game tournament. And first time I played it, I swear, Jen, it was like I was playing the 50K PPC. I was just so intensely focused and I was like really working on my game and I just wanted to win those 45 million play chips. And I wound up winning that one. You know, it's worth no money, but it really intrinsically, it, it meant like so much. And I, and I think poker players, like you need to have that intrinsic value as well as ex- extrinsic value. Because a lot of players will just get drawn to the game for the money and they might have a big score or win a bracelet and then move on. But uh there's a lot of players out there who this game has be- really become a refuge and a way of life, and they get a lot of intrinsic value out of the game. For me, mixed games, that's where I get a lot of joy and uh, continue to have fun playing this uh, fascinating game. I love that point about intrinsic value because there's been so much work done to show that children perform better when they have that sense of intrinsic value, that they're not just learning to ace a task, but they're learning for the joy of learning. And because something kind of just like lights up their brain in a good way. That was me with math. That was definitely me with math. I had some great math teachers when I was younger, like very fortunate who made learning algebra and trigonometry and geometry, like so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, I think that adult learning is so important and sometimes overlooked. But not in yeah. poker. Not, that's one cool thing about poker, actually, where I think it is, even though, of course, people bemoan the days where there wasn't as much strategy and there wasn't much of strategy information available. And, and I can completely understand where they're coming from on that. I also, of course, as the, the host of the grade, 
also look at it as like a metaphor. Like even if you're not winning tons and tons of money on poker, I think that the idea that it can make your brain like a better version of itself is really powerful. And yeah, usually something that we're always talking about kids, but no, like poker is like 21 plus. So at least in the United States. So we're talking about everyone can make better versions of their own brain. Yeah. And I hope um, more states can get uh, on board with having access to the game. We are so lucky to live in PA. You know, we're one of only four states in 2022 to have access to online poker. For me personally, whenever, when I'm close to the game, like, cause you know, I'll fall in and out of it. And in 2019, I hadn't played for about eight months or eight months or so. And when I listened to your podcast, this podcast, The Grid, it kind of called me back and reminded me like, wow, I forgot how much I love this game. There's four main psychological needs that, that we all have. And whatever you're doing in life, it's really important to kind of go through this list and make sure you're getting a balanced access to all these uh, needs. The first one is a sense of autonomy. And that's a big draw for poker. You know, you have a lot of freedom of what you can do with your time, your finances, even your decision-making, it's up to you how you want to play Jack-10 suited on with 18 big blinds on the button. Like you can run all the numbers and uh, study as much as you want, but at the end of the day, it is really up to you personally. And there's inherent autonomy just in that. And the second is a sense of intimacy, but it's, it's more like playfulness. And you have a five-year-old son, you know, once you get to a playground, like he just wants to like, climb on all the jungle gyms, go on a state, the sliding board, like just play around with other kids. And it's important not to lose that sense of play. That, that's why, you know, we have, we play sports, we play music, we play poker. It really does keep us young at heart. The third one, which eluded me for a while was, is a sense of belonging and community. And over the COVID, it's really happened in PA where I just feel more of a sense of belonging and not so much isolation. And I think a lot of the streamers, just seeing a lot of the players, just kind of growing together, battling together, it's really developing a lot of camaraderie where any of the PA players who venture out to Vegas or down to Florida, or I'm just rooting for. Like PA uh, Spring Championship of Online Poker just started. And the other night, my the two tournaments I was in fizzled out, but you're your fellow ambassadors, Keith and Mark, uh, Keith Becker and Mark Forstra, who stream on, on the Poker Stars channel as Accidental Grenade and Nio One, they were both deep in a uh, $500 high roller tournament. And the night just became so much fun, just rooting for them and sweating them. I knew it was a big spot for both of them. Nio finished 10th, uh, just almost made it a dual final table. And then Keith finished uh, seventh for over 3K, which was a sizable uh, score for him. I totally vibe with that. And being that I'm Philadelphia born and raised, I'm very excited to see this, like this community kind of arise from the games. Yeah. It's beautiful to see. And, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to see where it will take us. And by the way, you mentioned getting back into poker, partly because of the grade. And of course, that's the the best compliment I can receive, mm-hmm. but I, I would love to talk a little bit about your podcast, The Kinder Things. Tell us a little bit about the concept there. Oh, I have to tell the listeners have to hear the story because it culminates in like 
one of the most insane synchronicities that's that's happened to me in, in my life. And it was a, a sign that, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I heard the grid in early August of 2019. I was just walking around South Philly. I binged four episodes. I, I threw on Jamie Kerstetter's Aces because I love Jamie Kerstetter. I think she's a fantastic personality for the game. And then I listened to Maria's, Maria Konnikova and two others. And I just was standing outside a supermarket, had an epiphany like, I forgot how much I love this game and this new medium, the uh, podcasting. This is such a beautiful new format that showcases kind of the lost art of uh, conversation. And so right then I, I was like, I should do one of these, but for kindness, I'll just have a guest on, tell a little story about kindness they've done or some something somebody's done for them. Keep the episodes about 15 minutes and then on with your day. I, I didn't want to take up too much time. I just wanted each episode to be like a little seed, have like a nice uh, teaching in there. And so I got home instantly booked. I just looked up podcast studios in Philly and we booked a date August 16th. And I had four guests that I was kind of like, they were all good friends. So I was going to be comfortable talking with them. And I was just thinking about what I was going to talk about with each guest. And halfway through the second interview, uh, a girl who I had invited on to the show, but didn't hear anything back, just randomly showed up. So it was just like a curveball. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm going to do, be doing a fifth one. And her episode was the most powerful because uh, she was caretaking for a woman who was dying on hospice. And it took her a while to, like, she had to stop and she was crying a few times, just like, it was very cathartic for her to make it through this episode. Afterwards, I just, I was like, that was really brave of you to come. Thank you so much. I gave her a hug and she was about to leave. Our producer, Jimmy, he was like, before you head out, I was working with a woman who went on to hospice about a year ago. And if you hear anything about her, just let me know. Her name is Violet so-and-so. And the girl, Shatira, she like almost fainted because that's who she was caretaking for. And that's what the episode was, who the episode was about. I just could not believe that that had happened. He's like a man in his late fifties and they were just like sitting on a couch, like almost crying together. Really powerful moment for sure. The power of connecting. Yeah. And coincidences and being open to coincidences because like maybe it wasn't destiny, but if you're putting yourself out there enough, things like that happen. And what you're doing here, you know, with the grid, with chess queens, with all your creative endeavors, you are never going to really fully understand uh, the ripple effect that it's going to have. Because even just for me starting Kinder Things, I know of five different podcasts that started because of my show. You know, there's a reason why you're friends with my dad. There's the, the offline presence still matters. You yeah. know why? I think it's because people are so good online now that if you're charismatic and, you know, active in offline activities, I know we're seriously calling it offline. It's like, it's insane, but that actually sometimes gives you a bit of an edge. It's like the, the person who's charismatic at the table, but also an online solver is. Yeah. Now they got the, <laughs> the best of both worlds. Right. Yeah. So I think people who are listening to this, who are really into like the solver side, it is, it's is good to kind of think about when you're socializing, when you're out there that, you know, it's not a waste of time. You might actually be learning things that can help you to win, to win more money. 
not only to win more money, but to be happier. And the mixed games are get difficult because there's not many solvers that you can run for pot limit Badoogie. So the mixed games really do take a lot of practice. And it just takes, you're going to have to put in uh, 10,000 hours, you know, to really gain the experience in these games. And that's actually the uh, fourth psychological need. So we had sense of autonomy, sense of intimacy, playfulness, sense of belonging and community. The fourth one that you have to have access to is a sense of mastery, that you're putting your 10,000 hours um, to become a master of a craft. And a lot of people, most people equate that to a skill set, like whether it's becoming a chess grandmaster or, um, you know, elite poker player or doctor or lawyer. But something that I attach also to that is, um, is, a, is a value. And I choose kindness to um, practice and study and learn because like I could spend this whole lifetime and, you know, countless others, and I won't even tip the iceberg to the true magic of, of kindness. It's been the most uh, beneficial commodity in my tiny little life for sure. Like without a doubt. Is somebody not being kind a deal breaker to you? No, I think that word you and I both like, I don't know. We don't like that word kindness. It just kind of gets oversimplified, overpromoted to a point where it's like, it's seen as simple, easy, and worst case free, which in most cases, kindness is definitely not free. It's going to cost you time, resources, um, sometimes money, but the practice of it is where it is rewarding. Kind of the same way as like learning mixed games, the practice of it is where you get the reward. Say somebody like uh, Phil Helmuth, and you know how he has his uh, outburst and tantrums. And I still see that he's really working towards kindness. Uh, in 2016, I had the opportunity to sit next to him and in, in a World Series of Poker event for over four hours. He had a, a mini blow up against me. I, I played a hand of Raz against him and he was just like steaming a little bit. But what he did was on break, he took his headphones off and he said, listen, kid, you know, you seem like a really, really nice guy. And I just want you to know whatever I'm saying or behaving or spouting out in the moment, like, just don't take it to heart. Like, it's just part of my competitive nature. Like he broke the fourth wall with me. So ever since then, I kind of have an understanding. It's funny because I, I wanted to say something to him. You know, I just didn't, didn't know how to approach it. He was right next to me. So after an hour, I knew he uh, was associated with the Golden State Warriors basketball team. And I kind of quickly asked him, I was like, hey, who, who's the best uh, Golden State Warrior uh, poker player? And he, he almost, like, almost snap answered, almost beat me before I answered the question. He's like, Andrew Bogut. He's like, Bogut could play in our games. He's a phenomenal uh, poker player. And he also did a, uh, an MC event for the Golden State Warriors this year where like Steph Curry, Draymond Green, um, a lot of the players were in the tournament. And I don't think people realize like how important that is for our game. One of the best athletes and basketball players on the world gets introduced to our beautiful game that so many of us love. Later in life, what if like he retires, he gets like a little bored, he wants to start a new craft and he becomes a poker player. That is just going to grow our game more and more and more. Oh, absolutely. I hear what you're saying. Totally. I mean, I think some of his antics are unacceptable, but I also agree with you that he does a lot for poker. And yeah. one thing I like about Phil, which is just like a quality that I love to see in people, because I'm going to be honest, like when I'm down and like not feeling good, it's sometimes hard for me. 
Uh, when I see somebody like Phil Holmuth, I see this in like somebody like Matt Berkey. What I love about these people is that they see somebody succeed. You can tell that they're just genuinely happy for them. And I think uh, that kind of like absence of bitterness and like feeling that like there's abundance and anybody can be great. Do you struggle with the idea that in poker, especially no limit hold'em, it's like rewarding all this ruthless aggression where you're trying to make your opponent unhappy, but then also in between the hands, you're chatting, having a good time, laughing, trying to, you know, practice kindness where it's relevant. I think that dichotomy can be harder for some people than other people. How do you find it? I do struggle with uh, anger outburst. And even just over the quarantine COVID area, uh, COVID period, I smashed four laptops, uh, two phones, and I karate kicked a, an iMac that was gifted to me and it fell over and the screen cracked. So I get that, uh, that same like um, frustration and these intense outbursts of, of anger. Luckily, it's, uh, it's been a while, actually, since I've adopted my cat. Like he's been a saving grace. And he really like kind of keeps me at bay. In this poker world, like if you, you lose a couple hands in a row, if you get rivered and you lose control of your mind, then your money is going to, you're no good. Like you're going to be out of the tournament. You're going to be out of money. Emotional regulation is an important thing that we learn in this game. And I think that maps onto kindness too. Kindness involves a lot of emotional regulation. For anger, you have to, as it's arising, you have to see it and kind of catch it. For me, one thing that happened back in October of 2021, I lost an absurd hand. It was, it was in an eight-game tournament, and my opponent was playing stud, but we were on reds. He was like raising with a pair of kings. And it was pretty late in the tournament to make that kind of a blunder. And I somehow made threes full of deuces in Raz. It was such torture. And I wanted to throw my uh, laptop like across the room. But instead, I, I had a bag of apples that were just sitting in the kitchen. And I grabbed an apple and I just smashed it onto the ground. And it, it exploded like on contact. And I went through the whole bag, just going around my living quarters, just throwing these apples. And... When I came to, I was like, dude, you're behaving so ridiculously. Like, look at this mess. And I spent the rest of the night, I'm kind of laughing at myself, but cleaning up these apples. So now whenever I see that anger arise, a picture of me throwing these apples all around the room just makes me kind of laugh. Like, yeah, let's not go there, man. (laughs) That's a great image, like an apple smasher. (laughs) <laughs> the problem is like the amount of relief you get is it's so it takes so little time to like throw an apple on the ground. Not that I speak from experience, <laughs> but I, I do feel like an avocado would probably be even I have to say maybe you should have done an avocado because if your floors are clean enough, you could have scooped it up and just said you were making guacamole. <laughs> but it's like the, it took you so much longer to clean out the mess than the relief that you had. And, and that's, you know, that's that's annoying. But now you have a cat which is helping you with your emotional regulation. That's amazing. How long have you had the cat for? Since October. And I had an outburst uh, where I just like kind of I kicked a chair um, the first week I had him and it fell over and he ran and he, he was hiding behind a washer and dryer for like five hours. And he was just terrified. And it, I, I felt so awful. I felt like I really betrayed the trust of this uh, little creature that I really loved. I just kept apologizing to him. And ever since that night, 
whenever I sense anger arising, I have to catch it. You know, there's no excuse. Don't let it be a destructive force. You know, anger, greed, and and lust are three gateways to destruction. This poker as a way of life is kind of like walking a bounce beam over a sea of like rusted thorns and spikes and barbed wire. There's so much around the game that is really dangerous. And if you focus on that, there's other forms of gambling, there's drinking, there's um, not sleeping, not eating right. And you're going to fall into, get really hurt. But for me, when I'm like, when I'm attached to kindness and I'm aspiring toward kindness, I can walk that balance beam kind of like a cat, you know, effortlessly, gracefully, without really fearing of falling, falling down. You know, so it's kind of like a protector for me. You know, the thing about animals, and I'm a I'm a new pet owner as well. I had not adopted a pet for my entire adult life. Uh, and I, yeah, you yeah, know, I think it was because I traveled so much. And when I, you know, a lot of it is what you what happens when you're a kid. If you didn't have pets when you were a kid and you didn't have like a lot of girlfriends or boyfriends who adopted pets, it's easy just to not be in the habit. But it truly changed my life as well. And one thing is you can't communicate in English with a cat. Like they maybe Oh, I wish you could. But you can't like explain that you're angry because of XYZ. You know, and exactly. You can't communicate it. Yeah. You you can just communicate with your actions by improving mm-hmm. your actions. Whereas like humans, I think sometimes language is amazing, but sometimes we try to, you know, maybe overuse it to like rationalize stuff that we just need to stop. Right. For sure. You know, at the same time, I can't really encourage your listeners to like, you know, get a pet to deal with their anger, because, of course, if that doesn't work out, like in your case, that could that could be very dangerous for the pet. You know, like there's nothing that scares me more than animal abuse, because, again, because they can't communicate, they have no recourse. It's heartbreaking to think about. So, yeah, just make sure you got it under control. For sure. I'm light years better already in the past, like six months, I would say. That's great about the the podcast and adopting a pet. It sounds like a lot of these things have helped you with like tapping into your kindness and also kind of getting rid of the anger monster. Yes. An important part of this game is have to have fun while you're studying, while you're playing. If it gets to the point where you're in over your head and you're frustrating and you're smashing electronics, um, maybe it's time to just take a step back and um, remember like we are very lucky to have this game and practice it as a way of life and at its core like it shouldn't be about the extrinsically rewarding stuff it has to be something that you enjoy to do is helping you grow as a human being at its core poker is a really fun game and i think that it's interesting that your other hobby your your life before poker was as a singer in a rock band and <laughs> very intense heavy metal yeah. can i can i Not- call it heavy metal it was like hardcore slash punk, uh-huh. uh, not for the faint of heart. I would, uh, we were called this day forward. Be forewarned if you, if you do check it out. Cause, uh, we would record at this one studio and one night I was just, I was kind of a screamer and it was eight thirty at night and I was screaming and suddenly the cops showed up. One of the neighbors thought somebody was like getting murdered at the, uh, the studio. <laughs> oh no. Be forewarned. You know, my, my voice has changed quite a bit over the last two decades. And now I've become more of a singer. And I do have to thank you for your indirect uh, inspiration through the grid. You know, you really inspired me to come out of my shell and start the podcast. And my speaking voice is something I've been very self-conscious 
of over the years. You've helped me kind of battle that. And then even today, I overcame a little bit of nervousness, butterflies, anxiety, just to, you know, to speak here. And I appreciate you um, inviting me on to be part of this uh, wonderful time capsule, The Grid. Thank you so much for coming on The Grid, Mike. This has been so much fun. It's been a really inspiring conversation. And you know what, who else I have to thank? The boss who flew you out to Vegas, because, you know, who knows if you would have been here today if it wasn't for that. Thank you, Johnny. And that's the rippling effects of kindness that we've been talking about, huh? Nice. Thank you so much, Jen. And much love to you, the Shahadis. I wish you the best in all facets of life. So thank you so much. Mike Shaw on King 7 Offsuit. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Grid, sponsored by Poker Stars. Please subscribe, review, and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Till next time, as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh, no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent. You won't see me, see me stunting. No, never, never stagger. Believe it, I'm the real thing. Yeah.